Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kimball Otto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We'll be joined by Shay Blitzer, Executive Director of Public Affairs for Newstar, along with Terry Cannon, who is the President of Texas Pipeline Association. But first, I'd like to tell you about our latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which we featured Nick Dulles, who is the CEO of CNX Resources. Now, they are a new refining company that's located in the Marcellus Shell, which is near Pittsburgh. So we're pretty excited about being able to feature them and talking about what's happening in the Pittsburgh area. It's an article and an issue that you don't want to miss. Plus, there's a whole lot of other great stories in there, especially if you want to know more about oil, gas, and energy. For more information, please go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and we're going to jump right into some questions. The Senate, um, the Energy Committee Chairman, Joe Manchin, and boy, you know, don't we love Joe Manchin. He really (laughs) does keep the Democrat Party straight, or going straight, Uh, but this week he is working with Republicans on a deal to move a comprehensive energy bill through Congress this year. First of all, what does this bill contain and then, of course, what are the chances that it's going to pass? Well, it, it, you know, it's going to apparently contain a lot of, of different uh, uh, items, uh, but a couple of that are really important to the oil and gas business are guidelines and, and requirements for a, an ongoing federal leasing program for oil and gas, requiring the Biden administration to restart it in earnest and not just with a, a tiny lease sale like they announced last week and, uh, and keep it going on an ar- ongoing basis with a five-year program. That's one thing. And, and that's a, that's a very important step. And then there's also apparently going to be provisions uh, about potentially fast tracking permitting for critical energy infrastructure like LNG export facilities uh, natural gas pipelines to get the gas to the export facilities, and all of this with an eye towards being able to increase our LNG exports to Europe, which the president himself committed the industry to doing back in early March. Uh, so those things would be very positive if you could get a bill through with those in them. Um, the problem, of course, will be reconciling what the Senate wants in an energy bill with what the House, the majority in the House is going to want, which is going to be half a trillion dollars of new subsidies for wind and solar, uh, which were contained in the Build Back Better bill and which Senator Manchin is not in favor of. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I think, commendable for Senator Manchin to pursue this effort, but the, the proof in the pudding is going to be if there can be a meeting of the minds with the, the Democrats in, in the House of Representatives. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not sure that meeting of minds can really take place in this particular Congress. So, um, but we'll see. All we can do is follow the, the process and see where it leads. 
Right, but don't hold your breath until November. I wouldn't, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not holding mine, that's for sure. Well, and let's switch gears because speaking of another Democrat, um, there's climate uh, guru John Kerry who told yeah. him that he thinks that the U.S. natural gas industry should only have eight to ten years remaining <laughs> of life before it's replaced by solar and wind. Now, now you just released a story on your social media that discussed how it's showing that these are not performing to where the climate alarmist had hoped the whole no. area is going. It's actually falling apart. Yeah, and, the wind industry is having a real problem with profitability. Right. So how do we then continue to meet the demands that Biden has promised on LNG commitments to yeah. Europe if that happens? And, and furthermore, though, why do why do people feel the need to project years and such? You know, AOC is not saying twelve years. Uh, Al Gore was saying we won't have polar bears left. Uh, back yeah. in an inconvenient truth, and now here is John Kerry saying these things, and and no one ever says you've said these things, and it didn't it didn't pan out. So I just don't I don't understand how anybody is. Yeah, well, and, and, and you think about that, you know, not only is he directly contradicting Biden's own promises on LNG, right? Right. But, but who is going to, what company is going to want to invest eight to $10 billion in a new LNG export facility when the climate envoy that the president himself chose to put in that role is running around uh, the, the country and the, and the world Telling the natural gas industry, you only have eight to 10 years to live. Well, what's the point? It takes seven to 10 years to actually develop a new LNG export facility, right? So right. by the time you get it built, John Kerry's telling you, well, we may put you out of business. Well, <laughs> you know, you can't, we can't do thing, both of these things at the same time. Either the administration wants LNG to go to Europe or the administration wants to keep pushing John Kerry's fantasies. And, and we can't have both. And, and so someone in this administration has got to decide what the message really and truly is. Because what, what these companies need to, to take these tremendous risks, multi-billion dollar bets on new facilities that have to be funded with private money, not federal subsidies like wind and solar, uh, they have to to really think that they're going to be able to stay in business for longer than it takes to actually build the facility. Right. And so this this is just another example of of this constant flow of mixed signals on energy that come out of this administration because these people don't seem to be able to coordinate their own messaging internally, and it's it's incredibly counterproductive for the business sector. And I think, you know, we just finished having our very successful State of Energy Houston and the CEOs that were up on stage and, and their executive teams were kind of alluding to, they make, this administration has made it very difficult for them to make business decisions for the future. Yeah. And yeah. what we don't understand as consumers is when that starts happening, then you do start having less ability to have commodities or being able to provide much needed LNG to our allies like Europe. So you know, we need to look and, and think about what they're saying and, and then watch and see what they're following through with and what they're not. But meanwhile, yeah. China, you know, let's talk about China. They're having to prop up their own economy um, as a result of a lot of things that are happening in China. 
but mostly yeah. they have converted back to promoting the use of coal now internationally and abroad. Now they are bringing on and, and tell us about that. They are actually firing up coal plants um, at an alarming rate. Yeah. No one in the mainstream media is talking about this. Uh, John Kerry <laughs> talking about this. The, the the global alarmists aren't talking about this, but um, what is yeah. the meaning of this so-called energy transition if China is firing up coal plants left and right out there? Yeah, I mean, you would think that that uh, if you really want to reduce carbon emissions, uh, man-caused carbon emissions, you would be addressing the industry that produces 48% of them, which is the coal industry, not oil, not natural gas, coal. And uh, yeah, China is is building new coal plants every week, opening several new ones every week. And not only that, but they're spending billions of dollars to build them and, and subsidize other countries to build them, to use the coal that China exports in their coal-fired power plants. And so the last uh, inventory that I saw about China's global ambitions or global promotion was that they were planning more than 300 new coal plants just in 2022 alone in other countries, uh, in addition to the hundreds they plan to open in their own country. We, we cannot have an energy trans, transition if China's not going to be part of the deal, okay? Right. You can't have a global solution to carbon emissions without China being a participant in it. And right now, China's not a participant. China talks about it a lot. They give a lot of lip service to doing something by 2060 or 2070, you know, 50 years down the road. But they're not doing anything right now. And until, until the people at the UN and John Kerry and the Biden administration, you know, have a serious conversation about China and, and what China's doing, then it's almost impossible to really take anything they say about climate seriously because they're not serious. If they're not going to do anything about China, they aren't serious about the problem. And that's just the bottom line here. Well, you hit the nail on the head when you think about it. How can we take on a topic of climate change globally when we have a few countries that are bringing on coal plants at an alarming rate? It, it, it's very disingenuous. Yeah. Two, yeah. you know, when you think about, we, you know, you released a media report this week, or actually I did, excuse me, this morning from um, our flagship station, 740 KTRH, Michael Berry, in which we had a, a, a a wacko climate alarmist set himself on fire and killed himself at the Capitol as a way of protesting. And it's like this, it seems to be getting crazier and crazier, more and more insane when we have these topics because no. the left is not talking to the right in any way. And it just makes no sense. And I think it's really confusing people. So thank goodness we have this show to, to, to you know, cut through all the BS and just give our listeners the truth. And uh, you're right. Until we start taking on the, the topic of, true global change, nothing is going to change. Right. Yeah, we can't do it all in the United States. We all uh, have the same atmosphere and air to breathe. And and it, without China's cooperation, then this is not a global uh, solution. It just isn't. It isn't. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this segment. But coming up, we will be joined by the Texas Pipeliners Association. You're listening to Annual Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find And David, now it is time for us to welcome on our guest. We are being joined by the president of the Texas Pipeline Association, Turi Cannon, and chairman of the board for the Texas Pipeline Association, Shay Blunzler, who is the executive director for New Star in Public Affairs. Guys, welcome to the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. We are excited to have you guys on the show because this is the first time you're joining us. And we really want to understand a lot more about what your mission and your association focuses on, because obviously with this administration, it's a challenging time, no matter what stream you're in, whether you're in up, mid or down, there is typically a lot of regulation, over-regulation that's occurring and a lot of real maneuvering that's required to try to get anything done through this administration. So we're glad to hear about your association. Before we get into some specific topics and, and talk about the Biden administration and the oil and gas industry, I want to give you guys a chance to introduce your association to our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Texas Pipeline Association, your core mission, and who are your members what type of membership do you guys look for as well to grow that? Absolutely. Thank you, Kim. And thank you, David. The Texas Pipeline Association is an advocacy trade association. We've got 39 member companies located um, with, with all have intrastate pipelines located within the borders of the state of Texas. We are an adv advocacy group and an educational group. So we educate policymakers on what's going on in the oil and gas industry as specifically as it deals with midstream and of course pipelines mostly. And then of course we are an, an advocacy organization that deals with the railroad commission and advocates on pipeline industries interests. And we advocate to the state legislature on behalf of pipeline interests. So let me go back and, and Shay, if you can kind of answer uh, as well. You said membership is advocacy and education. Is this, when you say advocacy, is that in the area of lobbying for specific bills and legislation or is it education in the way of helping just the, the elected officials understand more about y'all's issues and pipelines specifically in Texas? It is both, Kim, we, we do both. And as David Blackburn will definitely knows, it they they probably go hand in hand. Yeah, they, they really do, don't they? <laughs> yeah, Kim, and, and I'll jump in as a 
the, a member company, we see a tremendous amount of value in uh, what the Texas Pipeline Association and the staff does, uh, specifically in the area of lobbying. Uh, the, of the 39 companies, most of these companies don't have lobbyists in Austin. Uh, a lot of them have don't, much of them are, uh, are smaller operators. Uh, and so we really rely on Turi and his team uh, to uh, keep us informed of what's going on in Austin, uh, whether it's in the legislature, the governor's office, uh, railroad commission. Um, and a lot of these folks that, that work at TPA have been doing it for many, many, many years. Uh, and there's a ton of institutional knowledge uh, that they bring to the table uh, that we're able to, to benefit from because they, they know how all of these policies were developed uh, in many instances, they, these policies do impact our business. They helped in implementing them and developing them. And so they really understand, uh, and they really bring a lot to the table and understand a lot of the history as to where we, how we got to where we are today. Hey, uh, yeah. In fact, I think I first met Terry in Austin, what, 15, 20 years ago now? Probably so, yes, right? sir. Yeah. Our great so a lot of us. <laughs> well, at least you have hair. I'm I'm running out of it. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just curious. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but just a just a quick question, Terry. I you know we have this big build up, big, big expansion of Texas pipeline capacity here, uh, mainly taking production from the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford to the to Gulf Coast refineries and processing and export facilities. And I, has your, your membership increased significantly through the course of all of that? Believe it or not, David, it, it kind of stays the same. We, we were up to probably 47 com member companies at one time. And I'm going to try to parse this a little bit. We still have those the ghosts of those same member companies, but it's because they were bought or acquired by some of our yeah. current members that have gotten bigger and expanded <laughs> their footprint. So is that, is we, that a problem? We still got the equal amount of pipeline mileage. We probably represent close to 95 to 97 of total pipeline miles in the state of Texas. And the wow. total pipeline miles is 483,000 miles. And just the intrastate number of that is about 432,000 miles. So when you look at the 482,000 miles total infrastructure, that's enough to go to the moon and get back now. When I first started this job, we didn't have enough pipeline to get quite all the way home from the moon. But <laughs> since, since that time, we've built more pipelines in Texas, and now we can go all the way to the moon and back. <laughs> well, you, you know, Terry, you bring up a very, very good point of how much pipeline is being laid here in Texas. When we're getting ready to go to break, but when we come back, I want to try to get on the topic of the Biden administration because it's everybody witnessed that day one when he was uh, in office, he signed a, a executive order killing the Keystone Pipeline. And what a lot of our listeners don't quite understand is the connection between, I think a lot of our listeners think that oil and gas is the problem. And so they're anti-oil and gas, but if you even if you do support oil and gas in our great state or in the United States because it's a matter of national security and you should, the canceling of the Keystone Pipeline was problematic from the start. And now we have an administration that continuously has an assault out for oil and natural gas. And it also is affecting the pipeline. So I want to get into how the differences between what's happening here at a state level in Texas and how pipelines are continuing to process versus at a federal level, 
with this administration. And then of course, the thoughts on your association getting into the Biden administration and how they are operating when it comes to pipelines. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to an Whole Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Remember this name, oil field experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil field experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, Call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Turi Cannon, who is the president of Texas Pipeline Association and the chairman of the board, Shade Blunzer, who is also with Newstar as the executive director of public affairs for Newstar. Hey, Terry and Shay, I, I recognizing, of course, that TPA is a state organization and, and you guys uh, in, the, in the association don't really deal with federal issues. I, I know your members... Many of your member companies do have interstate pipelines. And, and Kim, before the break, talked about President Biden canceling Keystone XL on his first day in office. And I, and I wonder, you know, just from a, you know, a thousand foot level point of view, uh, your views on kind of a chilling effect, that action by the president and, and you know, the administration's uh, slow playing of permit for interstate pipelines in general has really kind of had on the midstream business in the country. Have you, have you, your members, you know, kind of talked to y'all about, about those impacts? Certainly, David, thank you very much. And an interesting fact about the Keystone, uh, all I, the first thing I want to say is thank God we live in Texas because <laughs> yeah. the right. Keystone pipeline part that he canceled was not within the state of Texas. The Keystone uh, portion, the Texas leg is what we call it, that goes from Cushing down to about Port Arthur, has been in operation from since about 2014, 2015. So that is that is fully functioning and it provides a very needed service to clear some of the, the, the liquids out of Cushing and bring it down to the refineries. And it, it definitely helps our energy security, which you mentioned, Kim, and it helps our <clears throat> economy and it helps our our energy independence. So that that is a great thing for Texas. Keystone is a good partner here in Texas. What what the Biden administration did by canceling the other part is more of a federal issue from our perspective, just from this association's perspective, but it definitely does have a chilling effect on other projects being built because 
financiers and my member companies look at these and if they don't have regulatory certainty that they that they can spend the money and build the infrastructure to get the product to market and to help supply homes with with natural gas and to help supply generators with natural gas and to help put lower gasoline prices for your car that that does have a chilling effect on what it does here in texas yeah david and i'll add to that that you know unfortunately it put us on notice uh, as companies in the midstream space and, and further unfortunately uh, it did give us regulatory certainty. It gave us certainty that we'd be working on a lot of regulations over the course of the Biden administration. Yeah. Uh, just let me give you a, an example here, and I won't bore you uh, with what all of this means, but these are just uh, a handful of regulations that are happening uh, within the Biden administration that are problematic for our industry. EPA proposed performance standards, emission guidelines. EPA proposal of disapproved Texas state implementation plan, EPA Army Corps of Engineer definition of waters of the U.S., which is a political football that goes all the way. Oh, back my God. Yeah, I've written so much about that. Yeah, yeah the federal, uh, the first draft policies regarding the evaluation of climate change and the issuance of their permits. SEC proposed rule requiring disclosure of climate change risk. These are all major, major proposals uh, that directly impact our industry. And so we do kind of feel like we're under attack, but um, this isn't necessarily a, a, a war waged against pipeline companies. It's a war waged against energy and yeah. hydro, hydrocarbon-based energy. Um, you know, and if pipeline companies can't identify dislocations in the market and build pipelines to get them to market, uh, it, it, it makes it much more difficult to provide the, the fuels and the crude and the gas that's needed uh, for our economy to function. Yeah, and talk about, you know, I mean, people don't seem to understand. I, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people out there, really more people than we, we think understand this, but policymakers don't seem to really understand or care. Talk about how much safer it is to move oil. Let's just talk about oil in a pipeline as opposed to all these, I mean, I sat and waited for a hundred car train the other day uh, of all oil, you know, cars coming down probably from Canada uh, with, with Canadian crude going, going down to the Gulf Coast to be refined. Talk about how much safer it is to move that oil in a pipeline and environmentally sensitive than it is to move it on a train or even in a truck. And so Shay and Turi, when we get back from break, we're gonna get on that. I also wanna get on the topic of LNG and the promise that the Biden administration has made to Europe that we are gonna provide all this LNG to them. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 And we're back you're listening to In the Little Patch Radio show our guest today is Terry Cannon Shade Blitzer who is uh, chairman of the Texas Pipeline Association as well as the president of the Texas Pipeline Association 
Guys, before the break, we were talking about uh, safety and environmental stewardship and how much safer and environmentally friendly is to move oil in a pipeline than in a train or a truck. And I wanted to throw it back to y'all for comment. Absolutely. David, you, you bring up an excellent point. Um, one of the things I've always found the most peculiar about these types of regulations, they do it all on the auspices of it's going to help the environment when pipelines are by far more environmentally sensitive than, than having trucks on the road or any other modes of transportation of hydrocarbons. It's the safest and most reliable. A stat that we're very proud of in the industry is that when you're benching uh, oil and, and liquids, we, we transport 99.9% .9 of that safely to from point A to point B. Pipelines are very proud of that record. Um, as far as being environmentally sensitive, one of the stats that we always bring up is that a moderate 20 inch pipeline will running through a county will displace 1,650 trucks off the road. <laughs> Because when you look at it, a tanker truck holds about 180 barrels, but a moderate 20-inch pipeline can transport to 300,000 barrels of oil through that county a day. Yeah. And so you're looking at just taking an immense amount of trucks off the road and off the trains and making it more safer and more reliable. Folks, that's a big deal if you have to drive on I-35 or I-10. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaks to how I believe this is very disingenuous coming from this administration, the discussions, because if you start thinking about how many cars are on the road and you start looking at the air emissions that are occurring, plus they're using petroleum products, uh, gasoline specifically, and they're not as safe because we have wrecks uh, on freeways and in fatalities, you start really realizing that the pipeline is the safest route and it also is the most environmentally friendly. And I just wanted to point that out because we will have listeners that don't quite make these connections. So let's switch gears a little bit, guys, and talk about the administration and their new path forward that the United States is going to provide Europe a lot more LNG. And yet though, we have all these permitting issues, all these regulatory issues, all these pipeline issues. And I know, David, we talk about this a lot. Yeah, how, we do. How are how are we going to do this <laughs> and in what way um, and is your association a part of the discussions in any way of how we're going to provide LNG uh, to Europe? And David, you're welcome to, to jump in here as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it isn't going to provide a big uh, expansion or it's going to require a big expansion of infrastructure, not just for new LNG facilities, and a lot of those will be here in Texas, but also for the pipelines to, to get that production to those LNG facilities, right? And are Absolutely. we going to be able to, to, to get that done? David, you're a lot smarter than I am and always have been. But <laughs> I, to my knowledge, there's not another way to get natural gas from point A to point B without <laughs> using a pipeline. <laughs> yeah. there's no, I, I guess you could spend an exorbitant amount of money with and make your own LNG plant on your lease if you're a producer. But that, that would just be... It, it would be cost prohibitive, of yeah, course, and yeah. nobody will ever do that. So yes, pipelines will be absolutely necessary to get the natural gas from the wellhead and the processing plant to, to the LNG facility so they can do their function and turn it into liquid so it can be shipped overseas. So it's kind of, I hate to use the phrase everybody says, but you're talking out of both sides of your mouth if you're talking about increasing infrastructure, but yet at the same time, you're putting onerous regulations and um, um, 
arbitrary deadlines and, and delays into the permitting process because the permitting process is how is dictates how fast you're going to get that product to where it needs yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. And pipeline companies aren't just going to build a pipeline because uh, the president says that we need to move more natural gas. Uh, like Terry said, they are speaking outside the uh, both of the, both sides of their mouths in that you've got all of these as a multitude of uh, processing facility permits just sitting on tables uh, in Washington, moving at a glacial speed. And so we as pipeline companies don't have the regulatory certainty that those are going to get approved and we're not going to build the infrastructure until that happens. And it, and and because you work for New Star Shea, uh, I did want to ask you specifically, you're representing uh, one company, but what is the um, overall thought on how you guys, you said earlier that the permitting is not happening at all. You have uncertainty going on. So is there any way in your mind and your, your member companies' minds that this is actually going to come to fruition in any way? Is there any possible way the way it is currently right now or is I know you said they were talking up both sides of their mouth, but is there a possible way to do this if they slacked off a little bit, if they looked at some of the regulations, if they approved some of these permits? And are you guys having these discussions with the administration to help them understand well, what you just said is impossible unless you do this, this, and this? Well, I'm, I'm certain that some companies within the association are having those discussions. Uh, but like I said before, we need the regulatory certainty that it's going to happen. And just yeah. consider the, the previous administration and all the regulations that were removed, all of the certainty that they signaled to, towards the market. There was an explosion of growth uh, within our industry because we had the certainty uh, that these different types of projects uh, would get approved. And so uh, until that happens, um, you know, the, the industry is not just going to build out the infrastructure in hopes of that uh, uh, the other facilities will come you know there, it, there's a process and, and those process is uh they, they really re rely on regulatory certainty and so i i would imagine that some companies are having that discussion uh and they're evaluating it i mean we have market analysis groups in all of these different companies uh and, and that would be appropriate place for them to have those discussions uh but at the end of the day uh, this is a federally driven uh, process and it, it all really starts with issuing permits so that the market gets the signals that uh, uh, we're going to be able to, to service those different markets. And Very Kim, I'll, I'll add on to that because uh, just to, to tell you, we, we've heard a lot about regulatory certainty and why, and I want to bring up a point why it's so important. I'm, I'm thinking when David and I started this business many, many moons ago, <laughs> you could build one mile of transmission line for a million bucks. And you mm -hmm. could get, you could maybe build a mile of gathering line for probably six hundred thousand. That price has doubled. Now you cannot build a mile of pipeline for less than a transmission line for less than two million dollars, and gathering lines are probably up there as well. So yeah. those are, of course, rough estimates. But but any company, any businessman or woman or any anybody with common sense realizes that to spend that kind of money building that kind of infrastructure, you've got to have certainty in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to bring it back home into Texas and talk about some of the pipeline regulation and the Texas Railroad Commission and how they're involved in y'all's association. But we just take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Shay Blunzer, who is the chairman of the Texas Pipeline Association and also is the executive director of public affairs for New Start. And we're also being joined by president of the Texas Pipeline Association, Terry Cannon. David, before the break, we were on the discussion of the new commitment that President Biden has given to Europe that U.S. is going to provide LNG. You comment about this a lot. We've seen some headway with them in the onshore leases, but do you see a position change in the pipeline position that they've held since he's been in office? Well, not really. I mean, they've kind of, the FERC uh, kind of backed off of, of one terrible proposed regulation last month. And and the administration did announce that, uh, you know, they, they're opening up uh, leasing on federal lands to a very limited extent. Uh, but, you know, it's it's really more uh, PR from this administration than it, than it really is any uh, real substantive progress, and uh, no, I don't. I don't think there's any real change in what they're trying to do, which is to disadvantage the oil and gas industry, and uh, you know, and promote renewables and electric vehicles, and, and and they won't stop in that until the public forces them to stop, and that will start in November with the midterm elections, and then in 2024 with hopefully the election of a new president. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but you know, until those things happen, this administration. They're true believers, and they're just going to keep plowing ahead. And David, I don't, I don't, I want to kind of put you on the spot because I, I know you'll know the answer. But as far as that directive to open up federal lands for drilling, from a Texas-centric standpoint, it doesn't do anything for our state because most of our stuff is is private yeah. land anyway. And so yeah. that we have some production in Falcon Lake, I think. Still, uh, that's that's federal waters. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of federal land in Texas. Thank right. goodness. Well, David, let's switch gears and let's talk to the guys about the Texas Railroad Commission here in Texas. And thank goodness we have uh, pipelines here in Texas. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they're regulated by the Railroad Commission. Uh, And as Terry noted, I think uh, in the first segment there, uh, thank goodness uh, they are regulated uh, in Texas by the Railroad Commission. Uh, I'm just just wondering, guys, what are some of the issues, you know, that we're facing in this off off year right now uh, before the railroad commission related to the midstream business. David, probably the biggest issue that's occurring right now is the effects of what winter storm Uri had on us back in 2021. <clears throat> and, and there was legislation passed this past legislative session. Yeah. It was known as Senate bill three had a lot of great uh, new stuff in it that will increase the reliability of the electric grid and some of the, and what, one of those proponents that we were working, no, not proponent, but one of the things we were working on because of that bill is finding out which critical facilities 
right. supply natural gas to the electric generators. And we are actually, the Railroad Commission is actually heading the group that is mapping those facilities as well. So we'll have a much better idea, even though we already had a pretty good idea. But we'll have a, something on paper that everyone can look at that will show where the critical facilities in order to keep the grid maintaining efficiently and reliably are. And so that's one of the things we're working on. Another thing we're working on is identifying <clears throat> um, other critical facilities that relate to electric generation, which are not necessarily connected to electric generation. Because as you know, yeah. when you poke a hole in the ground, out comes oil, natural gas, just a hodgepodge of liquids and stuff. You've got to get rid of those liquids. And so it does affect the liquids market as well, because those liquids have to go somewhere or you can't produce the gas to get it to the generators. So it's all we're all a symbiotic relationship between us and the electric generators because we can't produce that oil and gas without electricity coming to our to our lease. Well, so, you know what? That, that leads me to another question. I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't going to think to ask it. But uh, so we had several freeze events over this past winter. They weren't as severe as winter storm Uri, but they were, you know, still pretty cold situations. They were yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, we had low temperatures all over the state and ice storms. Um, and we had all these reports in the media at the usual suspect media outlets that I guess I won't name here, but, uh, you know, about all this natural gas that failed and, oh, it was going to be terrible and the grid's going to fail because natural gas won't get delivered. And did any of that really happen? Not at all, David. It, yeah. As a matter of fact, during during URI, the midstream industry performed very admirably, quite honestly. And yeah. that you, the, the proof is in the pudding there, because if you have natural gas coming to your house, 99% of all homes located within the state of Texas were flush with gas during winter yeah. storm URI. And that was during winter storm URI. Because of some of the policies enacted by the legislature and the, and the leadership of the Railroad Commission and the smart people they have over there, you saw a very significant winter storm in 2022. And we didn't even have a hiccup this last time. Yeah. So because were, okay. because communications had improved, uh, mm -hmm. procedures had improved, more firm supply but was obtained by the generators, and so that was a good thing. More storage was utilized to get ready for it. Line pack was was issued. So a lot of these things added to us not having as big a hiccup as we did during URI, and it, it was seamless during this last time, despite despite some people wanting it to happen. It appears yeah. in some of the others. right. Right. Hey, Shay, um, I want to ask a question as we are departing on our last segment of the show. Tell us about uh, Texas is uh, on an off year. So in between, um, are there any bills, interim charges that you guys are studying that involve pipelines, as well as are there any legislative seats that you guys are keeping an eye on as well? Yeah, you know, we are in our interim year, but uh, it was sort of a, a shortened interim year because there were so many different special sessions. And so uh, the interim charges uh, really all have to deal, a lot of them have to deal with the implementation of Senate Bill 3 that, that Terry just talked about. And I can't say enough about the Railroad Commission and all the other state agencies, PUC, ERCOT, uh, it is a tremendous amount of work that they had to do in a very short period of time uh, to implement uh, all of that. And they were really up against the clock and the clock was called winter. And so they wanted to make sure that they didn't get the uh, the same results as uh, uh, the winter storm Uri. Um, the TPA, along with another coalition, had a very successful session. And we, for the first time in over a decade, passed a very meaningful eminent domain reform. We are a utility, and so right. we have the right of eminent domain. Uh, we worked very, very hard on, on that piece of legislation uh, that was passed uh, during the last legislative session. Uh, and so there's some implementation work to be done on that as an interim charge. Uh, we were also very successful in uh, helping 
um, Senator Alvarado get the passage of her bill that uh, would tighten regulations on storage uh, facilities uh, for both uh, oil and gas and chemicals. Um, and so there's some interim, interim charges we're working on to get that implemented as, as well. Uh, as far as uh, races that we're watching, they we're right around the corner from a runoff uh, of uh, a number of different seats, but I think the one that's got our industry's attention is that of uh, Chairman Wayne Christian at the uh, Railroad Commission. He is uh, being opposed by a very colorful candidate uh, that uh, has some interesting ways of campaigning. And so I think we're all watching that very close. Uh, you know, an incumbent in a runoff is, is always a very scary thing, um, especially here in Texas. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that's probably the, 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 the biggest race that we're watching. There's some friends that uh, are incumbents uh, that, that uh, are being challenged by some far uh, right wing uh, candidates. And so, like I said, being an incumbent in uh, a runoff election is always very dangerous. And so we're watching those races very cl uh, closely. Terry, you want to add any of those? I think, quite honestly, Shay, you, you hit the nail on the head. We've got a lot of friends in the industry that are being challenged by other, by significant opponents. And it doesn't matter and many times if they're right wing, left wing or anything, it's just scary when you have friends that are up against the wall in one of those those tight races. So guys, that is all the time that we have for our show. I want to thank you for being a guest on in the oil patch radio show and we look forward to catching back up with you guys um as session begins again thank you once again on behalf of david and i for joining our show thank you kim and our door is always open to y'all in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community every week your host kim Bellotto will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch